Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. See, the thing is, seven years ago I got on a Monday morning. I was tired. I was incredibly grumpy because I'd preached twice the day before. And Monday mornings, yes, pastors can be grumpy. But my name was on the phone answering machine of Glenridge Church because I was the elder on duty, which meant that if someone was in desperate need, they would get my cell phone number and they could phone me. And my phone rang. And everything in me said, leave it. <laughs> but I picked up the phone, and some of you heard this story before, and I'm going to tell you again. And on the other side was a desperate call, a desperate plea kind of like Jonah from the belly of a whale. Just a desperate plea. And I think there's some desperate pleas here this morning. And I I wanted to show you how to access that grace. And that phone call was, would you come to my house? And you know what? We were in a church. It was a big church of about two and a half thousand people. I got a lot of those phone calls, but something in me went, this is, I got to go. So I phoned a friend, his name's Mark Nyman, and on a Monday morning, we, we drove to a very nice suburb, to a very nice complex, and walked into a very nice home to encounter the woman who had phoned, her pimp, a stripper who was in the corner completely drugged out of her mind, and this lady who had made a phone call said, will you come? See, she'd never been to church, but she'd heard of something at the church. She'd been saved before. And as I walked into this home in a very nice suburb, a very nice home with pictures of a seven, of a little baby, I realized I'd walked into a home where a mother had begun to prostitute herself because they couldn't sustain their lifestyle. The husband was at work that day, and he was okay with his wife prostituting herself to sustain their lifestyle at 5,000 rand a night. Upstairs of this very nice home, was a nine-month-old little girl. And um, it was a desperate plea. And a friend and I ushered this man, this pimp, out of the house. He took the other lady with him, and we sat down with this lady because sometimes there's just no hope. Sometimes it's like hope's come to the end. You see, Jonah... Chapter 2 says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. The desperate plea and the desperate call we have to make. It's the distress call. It's a humbling thing. It's a picking up the phone saying, I thought I had this, but I don't. And I bumped into this man, and he told me how well they were doing, where they were going, and I pondered on this, because I can tell you about the meetings after that time, as a desperate marriage. I don't know about you, but does that sound like a desperate marriage? That's like a desperate marriage. The husband allows the wife to prostitute herself so that their family lifestyle could be sustained. See, they had friends in the suburbs. That morning, after we spent a number of hours praying with her, she handed me a cell phone SIM card. On that SIM card were the names of some of the wealthiest men and women, men in Durban, who'd abused, who'd used, who'd taken. 
everything in me wanted to take that SIM card and use it, to be brutally honest. And I'm, we are doing a series on Jonah, but I feel like there's the tenderness of God. I know some of your stories. And maybe you're not that situation. See, I walked in this home and it all looked good. The pictures were right, the leather couches were in the right place, but there was a brokenness. Something had been taken, the enemy had gotten in. He'd begun to destroy. And there were meetings and moments of sitting in my office. Kansas was in some of them. Where in this brokenness, this marriage that wasn't really a marriage, where she would shout at him. And he, he was broken. He had nothing to say. She would shout and accuse him for letting him. And it's true. A marriage without hope. Kind of like a man sitting in the belly of a whale at the bottom of the ocean. Crying out to God and saying, God, do you hear me? God, are you there? And there were meetings and meetings. And I got to be honest, there were moments I was saying, God, only you know. I, I don't know if this can be saved. This marriage, this thing. Seven years later, a marriage is whole. Seven years later, those kids have parents who love each other. Seven years later, they're going on an adventure with God. Because of a God who hears my distress call and your distress call. What's your distress call this morning? What, what? See, Jonah's sitting in the belly of a whale. And all his prejudice and all his pride and the bed that he had made. See, he had made that bed. He had sinned. He had run. But he knew something about the love of God of which we sing today. He had seen, he had prophesied, he had seen the faithfulness of God. He had seen the intervention, love, and grace of God break into the most broken, desperate situation. He had seen that firsthand. And he'd run. He'd run because of his arrogance. He'd run because of his pride. He'd run for a whole bunch of reasons. But I want to tell you about the God who doesn't care about the reasons. He hears our distress call. And Jonah gets inside of us. And I don't know about you, but preaching the series rips me apart because I see so much of Jonah in myself. I see how much pride, I see how much selfishness there is. God had called him to preach the gospel to 120,000 people. And his self-centered nature had pulled him out of a big story, a gospel story, into something very small like the belly of a whale. And Jonah's sitting in the belly of a whale. And he says, a distress call to father. See, in the midst of death, in the midst of everything, his faith looks up to a redeemer. Do you know the redeemer Jesus this morning? I want to ask you. No, I don't want to ask you, do you know his church? Because you found your way here this morning. I don't want to ask you, have you done the things that we're supposed to do? I don't think that holds a lot of weight. I want to ask you, do you know the Redeemer this morning? The one who in your distress call goes out. No one else is listening, but he hears. He hears. 
See, the church was never created to be this Caribbean cruise liner out on the seas. We were made for the high seas. We were made the lifecraft vessels to go in where brokenness and storms abound. That's what we were made for. And if you were told by someone that you were pulled out of darkness into light to settle into something calm, serene, and like a cruise line just floating on the ocean, maybe have a day on the beach, I'm telling you, you were lied to. You were adopted out of darkness into the family of God, His family, and you are called into the family business, like Chris Vinat reminded me yesterday. You are pulled into the family. You know what the family business is? Breaking into the homes where prostitutes are sitting and they are crying out in their brokenness and saying, Jesus, you touched that woman all those 2,000 years ago when men were accusing. And you got on your knees in the dirt and you wrote something in the dirt that no one knew. But all I know is that grace abounded and broken. Can you do it again? And I don't know about you, but something in me goes, I want to live for that big story. And I, everything inside of me wants to settle for something less. I'm telling you. This week, I had one of the busiest weeks of my life. I'm just being honest. And yet, the distress calls kept coming. I got a distress call this morning at 4 o'clock. And I'm telling you, I can't do it. But in Jesus, you and I can answer the distress calls of this world. It's what you were made for. It's the family you were pulled into. And maybe you think you're still the one crying out. I'm telling you, he's heard your call. He has answered. He is calling you to his story. Ephesians tells us he's adopted you, which means you don't have the same story anymore. You have his story. You have his blood. You have his power. You are called into the family business of the gospel. It is unbelievable that I, you know how ashamed I'd be if every thought that's been through this head were played over this projector. Can I just be honest? I remember the first time I preached at Glenridge, I was like, oh Lord, what if someone knows something that I've done and they stand up and shout it to the people? And Jesus says, it's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with my blood and my love that never, ever fails. And we settle for so much less. We settle for these top-ups. And I'm one, I just I feel the tender love of God for His people today. And not just for us. For the city we are called to impact and change. Romans 4 verse 18. Against all hope. Like a prostitute in her home with a nine-month-old baby upstairs. A pimp and someone wired out of their brain. Against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his face, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was a hundred years old, and that Sarah's room was also dead. Against all hope, what is against all hope in your life today? I want to tell you about the God, the Father, who is faithful. He's faithful. Some of you, if, I just want to move this sister. Some of you are feeling like you're still in the belly. See, Jonah in the belly of the whale cries out and sings a song of praise to God. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't caught up with himself. He was caught up with the praise and the wonder of the glorious Father. A song of praise. 
And I want to speak this morning just about, I was looking at the scripture, just four kind of steps from the belly to the beach. Is that all right? Sorry, I just, I feel the tenderness of God this morning. I didn't want us to just go on to announcements and we can't just do church as normal. It's, it's not just, it's not ours. Meetings aren't ours. Moments aren't ours. I worship the God of the suddenlies. Read the book of Acts and look for the word suddenly. I dare you. And you would be surprised that God doesn't care about our plans for meetings. He doesn't care about our plans for our days. He actually doesn't care. He cares about his agenda, his love for people, and his grace which pours out. That captivates him. And he cakes us on that story. The first one that I've already spoken about, that calling out to the Lord, just calling out. You see, the problem is we get caught up and maybe you're here, you're like, it's all going wrong, it's all that. So actually, I'm just going to sit down. I'm just going to sit down and feel sorry for myself. Maybe someone stole something. Maybe someone raped you when you were 16 years old and you spent your life on your knees, going, God, they took that. I'll never get it back. I want to tell you about Jesus. Can we close our eyes for a second, please? Is this all right? I, I am tired, so I trust it's not in tiredness. I, I've, I really sense the tenderness of God here this morning. I know there's more than one person here this morning who's been raped. I know it. And we can, we can just carry on. Or we can ask the Father to bring healing now. Can every eye be closed? Please honor this moment. Can every eye be closed? I want to ask something very brave. With every eye closed, if you were here this morning and someone took something from you that yet they didn't have even a right to touch, will you receive the grace and the love of Jesus now. Right now. Right now. It's okay, guys. This is church. This is the presence of God. Right now, Spirit of God. Heal. Come, Spirit of God. Right now, maybe you weren't raped, but maybe something was taken. Ladies, sexuality. The Father wants to heal now. The Father wants to heal. Right now, Father, I pray. Spirit of God, would you pour out in abundance your grace, your love, and your mercy as we cry out to you. As a community, we cry out on behalf of those who something was stolen from. I pray, would you heal today? Would you heal today? See, David said in Psalm 139, he said, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I go down to the depths, 
you are there. And I think there's this presentation of the gospel that when you're on the mountains and you're too blessed to stress, God is with you, but when you're not, He's not. It's a lie. I want to tell you about the God who's at the top of the mountains and the God who's at the depths. Jonah's speaking. He's singing a song of praise, and he says, You hurled me. Who hurled him? God, the Father. You hurled me to the depths. He says, The cords entangled me in my head those are the cords of the kelp and everything at the bottom of the ocean gripping you and holding you down there's nothing worse there's no worse feeling than being unable to get up i want to tell you about the god who is at the top of the mountains he's there he's also at the depths like the belly of a whale like the home of a prostitute like the home of someone, something's been stolen. God's, God's with us, guys. If God is ministering you, just receive His grace. Because actually, Hebrews tells us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach. Let us approach. See, there's an amazing lady here whose husband is not well. And I see her this morning and everything inside of me is overwhelmed by the situation. And all I can say is remember Jesus. That's all I can say. I got no answers. All I can say is remember Jesus and approach that throne. See, we live with this mindset and understanding of the Father that when we come, we are approaching His throne of judgment. And I want to tell you, Jonah comes at thinking he's approaching the throne of judgment, and he finds that the throne of judgment is the throne of grace, is the throne of mercy. It's the same throne because it's the same king. And his overwhelming reality is the grace of God that pours and pours over us. So our second step is to come to that throne of grace. It's to cry out, and then we've got to come. Jonah says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All my waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I look again toward your holy temple. It's like this massive contradiction. I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter where I am. I love the testimonies of of God in the midst of crave clubs with people out of their mind, seeing the King of Kings and walking out of that place, never to walk back again, changed and transformed by the love of God, by the fact that He just asked for this one thing, turn. See, we get caught up on this issue of repentance. Repentance is a gift. It's, a, it's an unbelievable gift. What, what most people have heard is repent, repent. Repentance is beating yourself. It's doing something. It's not that at all. Repent comes from the origin, the Greek origin, metanoia, just to turn. And Jonah, in the midst of a belly, he's looking at old tires. He's looking at smelly fish just floating around. I hate smelly fish, just being honest. Why I would hate to be Jonah, I don't do smelly fish. 
just to lighten the mode a little bit. I, I don't do smelly fish. And Jonah's in the bottom of the ocean, in the belly of a whale, and he says, I don't deserve anything. Yet, yet I will look again to your, toward your holy temple. I will cry out to your presence. I will lift my eyes above the smelly fish, above the, get, the guts of a, of a whale. I will lift my eyes and see the king of kings. And I want to ask you this morning, wherever you're at, will you lift your eyes? Take your eyes off me. Take your eyes off the church. Take your eyes off the people around you. Stop running to people and run to him. Will people play a part? They will play a part. Heard an amazing statement yesterday that it's God who redeems, but it's community that saves and holds and brings us to the Redeemer. But it's ultimately the Redeemer. It's ultimately Jesus. It's ultimately you in the belly of a whale lifting your head. I can't do it for you. I wish I could. Sometimes I have to find the strength to do it myself. And then Jonah carries on, and we see the calling out. We see the lifting our heads, and then he anticipates the love of God. He says, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. Understand the power of your words. Understand the power of your thinking as we approach God and rightly thinking about who God is. Because Jonah is still very much in the pit. He's still in the belly of a whale. He's still at the bottom of the ocean. And he speaks these words, but you, God, brought me up out of the pit. He's still in the pit. If you were the other guy in the whale, I thought, this guy's definitely lost it. Jonah's still in the pit. He's still very much in trouble. And he proclaims and he declares the praises of his God from deep inside the belly of a whale. What are you declaring right now? What are you crying out? Who are you calling on? And the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And what is he doing? He is testifying to that faithfulness. He is testifying to that love. Romans 8 verse 16 or verse 14. Let's start there. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What is happening? Jonah is in the belly of a whale and the Spirit of God is testifying even though he's in the belly of a whale saying, you are a son, you are adopted, you are loved. Now cry out to your Father. I want my kids to know that wherever they are, whatever they are doing, whatever rubbish they're in, they can always call. Always. And the first thought wouldn't be, God, my not God, my dad's ashamed. Their first thought would be, my dad will come. My dad will come. And we've all been to that, but I'm telling you, we have to. If we're walking on a journey from, like Jonah, from the belly to the beach, or from brokenness in the home of a prostitute, seven years later going on an adventure with their family, if we want to go on that journey, then I'm telling you, a key to that success, a key to the, to the fulfillment of that journey is anticipating that God is faithful and He loves you. It's anticipating that. I anticipate that. I love my little Ben. He's big blue-eyed boy with, with big blue eyes and, and creamy cheeks. He's like cookies and cream. And, and he's, he, 
I, I know when Candace gets home, Ben's the first one to run out. He says, Daddy! He, he just shouts, Daddy! And he comes, and I get these big rosy lips that kiss me. I anticipate his love. Because he's unbelievably consistent. I want to tell you about Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you are. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter what people have taken. No man can take what God gives away. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What are you anticipating of God? What did you anticipate this morning? Can I say, sometimes we come to worship, sometimes we come before the presence of God with such low expectations. It's like, God, if you would just see me, that's enough. If you, if you would just see me. We live like that. It's like, if you, if you could just remember me. And the triumph, and I want to go back to Jonah, because I want to take you to the Word. I want to tell you how the Word of God brings life. We are doing a, an everyday Bible reading. Why? An everyday devotional. Why? Because we just have extra resources and that's what we're doing. Not at all. Most of them are being done very late at night. It's because I want you to find God in His Word and understand His life pours out. And Jonah, verse 8 of chapter 2, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He's holding on to the tonsil of a whale while he sings that song. But he knows his God. And he doesn't know how he's going to get from the belly of a whale onto the beach. But he knows his God. And he says, salvation comes from the Lord. I will let go of these worthless idols, the things I've given my life to. Please allow the Spirit of God to reveal worthless idols. Because they won't bring life. But God. And Jonah reveals to us that, that the breakthrough comes and the victory comes in my praise of him. If you're in the pit today and you want breakthrough, praise him. Sing to him. And I'm not the guy to say worship looks like this. I grew up in a church where if you were a radical worshiper, you stage dived. That's, that's what we did. Or you moshed. I don't know if you were born in the 70s. Moshing was like this thing you did and you bounced against each other. And you did that in worship because then you were like a radical worshiper. And I'm not going to tell you what worship looks like. I want to tell you about the one who is worthy of your worship and praise, what he looks like. And I don't care how you do it. If you want to get on your knees and worship him, please do that. But please worship him. Because there's breakthrough and there's freedom in him. I'll be three more minutes, four more minutes. To truly know God is to truly know the one who separates your sin as far as Nineveh is from Tarshish. As far as the east is from the west. In the context into which the story was in the world in which they lived that was from that end of the world to that end of the world. Please believe that. Because when the church believes that, we will change the world. When the church believes that, we will take this glorious gospel to the ends of the earth with courage and confidence, knowing that that's what he did for you and that's what he did for me. But then the climax is chapter 3, and I'm just going to read two verses. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Surely Jonah, having failed, surely Jonah, having been in the belly of a whale, he gets spat up. The whale spits him out. It says the whale, God caused the whale to spit him up on the beach. And maybe you can't get your head around it. Stop trying to get your head around it. This is God. He brings coins from the bottom of the ocean in the mouths of fish. Stop picking and choosing what you don't want to believe and throw yourself in the awesome nature and character of the miracle-working God. Stop trying to be the skeptic. Stop trying to be the one that works God out. It's futile. It'll waste all the energy you have, and you won't be able to do it. Don't throw your mind away. Devote your thinking to Him. Sorry, that's deep inside. But this unbelievable truth that God calls Jonah a second time. He's calling a failure. He's calling a stinky guy. He's been in the belly of a whale for three days. Pretty stinky. We, we had an emergency this morning before church because there was a bit of a smell in the building. Maybe you, and, and I've just seen ladies walking around with air fresheners all morning. Shh, and air cons and vacuum cleaners and mopping with bleach and it's all happening. Imagine a guy who's been in the belly of a whale for three days and take that stench and equal it to sin. And then take this line, God speaks to Jonah and calls him a second time. And then see God. Because when I read that line, see, we live in an unforgiving world. We live in a radically unforgiving world. And you will fail, and, and you, they might give you a second chance, but it'll be under some kind of probation and clause, and, and you're going to have all these eyes watching you. And I like doing things well. And so I have to work on my team that we work with here, not being the guy that, oh, we messed it up last time. Because that's the culture of the world. It's an unforgiving world that we live in. Who knows, Steve Harvey probably won't do Miss Universe next year. <laughs> he, he, probably, he probably won't get the gig. And if you don't know what happened there, just search it. He announced the wrong winner at Miss Universe. He probably won't get that gig again next year. Who knows that Jenny Sparrow is probably not the most popular real estate agent in Durban right now. And the fact that half of you know who her name is tells you that one mistake, a lady with prejudice and arts puts one thing on Facebook and her world is blown apart. We live in an unforgiving world, but we worship a God who gives unbelievable second chances. And, and the one question I'm encountering as we do this series, as I sit with people, is this question like, Mark, I really messed up. How could God do that again? Now, I want to tell you about the God who called you to a mission again. And I had a whole teaching on here, but I just want to tell you the story of a friend of mine. Don't put the picture up yet, please. And this friend of mine's name is Mark Slaughter. He's a pet cremator. His surname Slaughter, yes. <laughs> He's an unbelievable man. He got pulled out of unbelievable circumstances by the grace of God. I remember being at his 30th. He just recently got saved. And he, was, he had all his old friends there and his new church friends. And he was conflicted because everything inside of him wanted to just put the booze back and get hammered. He was on the journey of walking with God. He'd had a father who'd left him and he ran overseas. He just walked through a bunch of stuff. But Mark Slaughter met an amazing girl named Nikki Stewart. Nikki Stewart was beautiful, is beautiful, pure, 
Never kissed a man. And I got an invitation to their wedding. And we were in the Midlands one, on the night before the wedding, I got a phone call from Stan Phipps, who some of you know. And he said, Mark, the wedding's off. Wedding's off. Mark had had a, a crisis of conscience. He'd given himself away so many times that he could not, in his head, understand how the Father of Heaven could give him a pure bride. He just couldn't get it. And he just wanted to run. But the unfolding grace and nature of God and community around them brought them together to walk. And a year later, the invitation was set out. The same weekend, a year later, in the Natal Midlands, at Mike Glass High School in the hall, Mark Slaughter and Nikki Stewart were getting married. And we celebrated. But the same voice that had lied to him the year before began to speak. And I want to tell you, that voice doesn't speak, that voice shouts. It's the same voice that's reminding you what you did last year, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. It's that same voice. It's a liar. He, he was so caught up with anxiety that his best men slept in the double bed next to him to make sure he did not run away. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. And the wedding came, and, Nick, and, and, and Mark was at the front, and he was looking okay, and we were all okay. I was the wedding singer. Rory was doing the wedding. And Nikki arrived, and she looked beautiful, and everyone was like, ah, oh, it's happening a year later. And she walked down the aisle, and I just, I was standing facing Mark. Rory was here. Mark was here in his basement, and he just started sweating. <sighs> because that voice started to shout. You're a dirty, rotten scoundrel who deserves the belly of a whale. You don't deserve a pure bride. And Rory began to speak, and Mark started saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Everyone knows the story where I'm from, so it's fine. And Rory just said, could everyone close their eyes? And he walked Mark, his best man, and called Stan Phipps and walked out of the Mark Glass Chapel. Now, here's the most awkward moment you could ever imagine for the wedding singer. <laughs> bonk, bonky, bonk. I've got, uh, there were about 250 people there looking at me a year after this wedding had been called off. Bonk. But you know what happened outside? Is Mark had a complete meltdown. He'd left his bride at the altar for the second time. And there's a man named Lex Stewart, who I was on eldership with, who was her father. Lex got up, and he walked, and everyone saw him walk, and everyone thought, ooh, here comes a thing. Because if that was my daughter, I'd want to smack him. <laughs> Just telling you. That's why I got given three boys. And, um, <laughs> and I wasn't out there. I was playing guitar at the front, but Rory said, speaks of this moment. Mark walked, uh, uh, Lex walked out the hall. And Mark was there weeping and, and caught up with fear. And Lex walked right up to him, and no one knew quite what was going to happen. Lex grabbed him by the back of the head, pulled him forward, kissed him a long kiss on his forehead, and said, today you become my son. Um, can we put that picture up, please? This was taken two years ago. They now have five kids. I think it's about eight years ago now. 
This insecure man now leads a community called Glenridge at Glenwood. He leads a business. He has a family of five kids. He has a wife who loves him. And Jesus covered him with a cloak of righteousness. See, in a moment of vulnerability, I remember a moment, he felt the need to tell me everything. And he just told his friends. He, he spoke. He told his friends everything. But Jesus. Jesus, a year later, says today, to the voice of a father on earth, says today you become my son. We are many years later. And I just, as I was preparing this, I was just caught up with the wonder and the grace of God. Lee, can we come up again, please? See, this heart is filled like a bank vault of many pictures like that picture. And why we walk in community is we get to walk those stories with other men and women. But we see Jesus, we don't see them. And my favorite song in the world was on a cross hung a man who redefined who I am. I don't know who you came to this church as. I don't know how you even came here this morning. Maybe last night you were out of your mind on something. Maybe you shouted at your wife. I don't care. What I know is, on a cross hung a man who redefines who you are. Every day and every morning his grace is new. And every morning his mercy is new. And every day he covers you with his righteousness. And every day his arms surround and hold you. Every day. And I don't care if you wake up anxious every morning. Because I want to introduce you and tell you about the one who saves. Who every day pulls you close and reveals his love. And if he can take a man from the belly of a whale. Get that whale to spit him out on a beach so that 120,000 people can get saved. He wants to pull you out of whatever it is that is holding you. He wants to transform you by his love that we're going to sing of again so that his glory will be made known. That you like that picture. Can you put up that picture of Mark Slaughter again, please? I don't know what signs, and when I say the word signs and wonders, I don't know what comes to your head. What comes to my head is that. It's that. It's brokenness to wholeness. It's a man who didn't deserve anything, walking in an inheritance because there is a father who gives good inheritances. I don't know what you think of signs and wonders. Maybe it's arms growing. It's, I love that stuff. But I think of that. And I go, my God is glorious. My God is great. His power is amazing. And he loves his people. So can we stand together and sing of this great love? And can I ask this? Maybe you, do, maybe you don't need to stand. Maybe you need to get on your knees and kneel and allow him to love you this morning. Maybe you need to get in an aisle and just allow the healing to come.